But this morning, just before I woke up, the Lord was nudging me. And um, I woke up well before my alarm went off. And when these moments happen, um, I believe it's important to go with the nudging. Um, because maybe the Lord is wanting to say something or, or um, he has something specific. And I just lay there and I, I, I'm well awake. And I believe out of the blue, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to read this passage this morning. So I read it at home. And I thought, oh boy, this isn't the easiest passage in the world. I, I, I like to avoid the passages that I can't get my tongue around. Um, so, and that's, that's, yeah, I know, that's quite a bit of the Old Testament and all the names and geniality. So I'm going to be obedient and, and, and allow this to drop in your heart where it needs to drop. Okay? It's in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to read pretty much, I'm going to read the whole chapter because that's what the Lord said for me to do. So... I would like to pick out one verse and be happy and done with it. But no, so this is what it says. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Remember, Abraham was before the law came. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth, a tithe part of all. First, being translated king of righteousness and then king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made like the Son of God. We're talking about an Old Testament person who's made like the Son of God, who had no beginning, no ending. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi. Now, the sons of Levi were the priests who received tithes from the other tribes, who received the priesthood and have, uh, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But who... But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Anybody who tithes can claim this for themselves because this is a promise to all those who tithe in the house. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortals... Now, you could say here the pastor of the church or those who steward the finance of the church. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. When you give on a Sunday into the house, whether that's through your online giving, whether it's through a bank transfer, whether it's through however means or in the buckets at the church, here mortal men receive those tithes. But there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. When you tithe here, he receives them there. Because what you do in the natural is a spiritual principle that he receives. Even Levi, who received tithes and paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, even though Levi came after Abraham, because Abraham did it, he the blessing came through. He, uh, for he who still is in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that anyone or any other priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? I told you this... I would prefer not to have read this, because <laughs> it's not easy. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he, who is, who, for he of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. As in, for it is evident that our Lord Jesus 
arose from Judah, of which the tribe of Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And is and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a, or, or sorry, the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment, because, it is, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope, through which we draw near to God. And insomuch as he was not made the priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become surety of the better covenant. Also, there were many priests because because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he also, uh, he also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, Underfold, separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily, um, as high priest, to offer a sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints the high priest men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever if you know me well I like to read over and over again I didn't have a chance to read over and over again and familiarize myself with it because I got it this morning to share but the key scripture thought is this here mortal men receive tithes but he receives them to whom it is witness that he lives forever so when you give of your tithes and your offering on a Sunday, please remember, you're not giving it to me. You're not giving it to the church. You give it to God. If you don't tithe, the book of Malachi says, why do you rob me? Why do you rob God of tithes and offerings? So I just want you, I don't know why the Lord woke me up. I don't know why he wanted me to say that. But I think it's really important that we recognize the tithe came before the law because there are many people who say, well, the the tithing comes under the law. No, it doesn't. It comes under Abraham. Then it came under the law. Then it came under the priesthood. And now it comes under Melchizedek, king of Salem, who lives forever, who is the son of God. So let me pray over our tithes. And our offerings this morning. Father I just want to thank you. That as obedient to your word. Each one of us needs to judge your word according to truth. And Father I pray this morning as we give. And as we pray over the offering. The tithes and the offerings of your people. Lord, you said that you would rebuke the devourer on our behalf. Everyone who tithes, you would rebuke the devourer. Father, I release that over our lives this morning. Your power to rebuke the devourer in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Fantastic. Um, Over the last numerous weeks, each of the congregations um, all over Um, The South have been sharing um, on this running your best lap for Jesus thoughts. Um, Last week, we we shared some of the thoughts about the journey where Paul and Timothy, um, his son in the faith, the one who who remained faithful to him in his journeys and the ups and the downs 
of their lives. Um, he, he, we talked about what that looked like, how that journey was, and how important it was in the life of Paul, and how important it was to be able to position Timothy, his son in the faith, to lead the church in Ephesus. And, and that's what his journey was for Timothy, that he was going to continue being the pastor in, in the church in Ephesus. But this scripture, these thoughts that Paul shares in Timothy, I believe are so important. So we're going to read them again. If you've got your Bible, uh, let's hear the rustling of pages. You know, that's a bit of a thing of the past, isn't it? the rustling of pages. But I'll tell you what, if one day the government turn off all Bible apps, where will we be? So let's, let's have the rustling of pages in the house of God. Amen. You can have your Bible in your car. You can have your Bible on your phone at work. I don't care. But let's have rustling in the house of God. All right. I remember my father-in-law, Jane's not in here. I can say this. My father-in-law once said, it sounds like a cow pat. And there is a bit of a resemblance. But do you know what? When you, we were working with manure yesterday, a three tons of manure. When you work with goodness, because manure is goodness, when you put it into the ground... Guess what happens? See, the word, when the word is planted in your heart, and then you allow the, the manure. I'm not saying that the word of God is manure. Please don't. But when you allow the nutrients of the spirit of God to bring forth the harvest of his word. I'll tell you what, there's something powerful. So flip open your Bible. Anyone got a Bible in the room? Does it make a noise? There we go. Flip your Bible around. Just remember, every time, as you open the Word of God, you're putting the seed in your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to bring the nutrients to life. So, 2 Timothy. I'm going to read it from here because it's a translation that's different. It says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, regardless of how you want to help your brother and sister or your children or your parents, this walk with Jesus is an individual walk. I can inspire you. I can encourage you. I can correct you according to the word of God. But Paul here says, I have fought it. I have run it. I have kept the faith during it. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Why are we teaching on running our best lap for Jesus? Because there is a crown that's awaiting you. There is a crown that is positioned in heaven on a, on a if you like, on a, on a stand waiting for the day when you get to heaven where then Jesus can present you with your crown. Because there is a crown awaiting you, the crown of righteousness that is awaiting you. But through this, what we do see is something really powerful. See, Paul declares, I have fought the good fight. And, and some, I heard someone once say, the good, fight, the good fight is the fight that you win. And that's very true. Because, you know, if I, if I got in a scrap, if I happened to be walking downtown and I was preaching the gospel and someone didn't like what I was preaching and they knocked my lights out, um, you know, even though what I was doing may have been a good thing, to get knocked out for preaching the gospel, I wouldn't class that as a good fight. I've just been, I've just been knocked out. Um, if one, I'm having a boxing match with one of my children in the back garden and, and um, we've got some boxing gloves and, and Sam suddenly clicks me on the chin and he, and he puts me down and I say, that's enough, I've had enough. That's not a good fight because I've lost. Any fight that we lose doesn't feel like it's a good fight, does it? Any race where you come second. You know, I heard that in the, in the last Olympics, anyone that came, came second classed it as being a loss because they didn't win the gold. 
Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a new way of looking at life, I guess. If you don't win gold, um, then, then you, you're a loser. Well, actually, there's gold, silver, and bronze, but who wants to win silver and bronze? Everyone really is after the gold. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm after gold in my life. I'm not talking about a, a, a precious metal gold. I'm after gold in my life. I'm not after wood, hay, and stubble. I'm not looking to build things on my own ability. I want it to be gold. I want it to be pure. I want the refiner just to keep on taking the rubbish, the dross off of the refiner's fire of my life so that he produces pure, pure gold in my life and in our lives as a congregation. And here Paul says, I have fought the good fight. And I want to encourage you that we are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual battle where there are many things that come in our life that will distract us, that will cause us to to preoccupy with other things. Um, It will cause you to become so busy that you've got no time for God. No time to serve. No time to be busy about our father's business. And the Greek word here for fought is agonizomaya. Something similar to that. Agonize. See, agony sounds good, doesn't it? That, that sounds like you're in a fight. Or I have fought. Agonizomaya, I think it is. And it's translated, translated fought or to engage in a conflict. But it's not talking about war. Paul, in this instant, again, is talking about the Ismian Games or the Olympic Games. It's that wrestling. It's that hand-to-hand combat that he's talking about. He's talking about engaging in a conflict, a fight. In this situation, it is about one-to-one, hand-to-hand combat. And that is what it's like in our life. Every one of us are responsible for the spiritual journey of our life, but also the spiritual war that comes against us. We are responsible for how we stand up in the midst of those pressures. What we do when pressure comes against us. Do we turn to the world or do we turn to the world? Do we run toward God or do we run away from God? Do we bury our head in the sand and hope it passes by? Or do we stand up in the midst of the storm and say, be still and there's a great calm? How do we respond in the midst of pressure? See, the Bible is very clear how we should respond because we are all in a spiritual, we all have a spiritual walk and we all have spiritual battles. In Ephesians, Paul says this, because he understood spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 12, it says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. How often are we wrestling against flesh and blood? If you're married, how often do you wrestle against one another? When actually we should find the reason why we're fighting, not fighting each other. It's really important. You know, in, in church settings, do you know what? In church settings, you can have someone who sits over here because they won't sit next to that person over there because they've got an attitude with them. But the Bible says we should be dealing with those things. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, Against spiritual hosts in wicked places, in sorry, in wicked spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This Paul, when he was running his race, encountered every one of these in the journey of his life. And it's so important that you realize that you are engaged in spiritual warfare. Because if we don't, we, we just look at life and look at it and say, Well, I've been dealt a bad hand. I'm sick, I've got problems at work, I've got problems in my family, I've got problems in my finances, I've got problems upon problems. I've just been dealt a bad hand in life. 
But until you realize that there is a spiritual war waged against you in, a, in the darkness of the dark realms that we do not see, if we recognize that there's more to this than what we see with our natural eye, then we'll be waging warfare in the right direction. Not just accepting it, not just blaming the world for it, not just blaming other people for it, but we will take responsibility for our journey and say, I I'm going to stand on the word and the promises of God. And it is so important. Paul, in his journey, you know, when, when he wrote this, Paul was under arrest. He had a Roman centurion standing guard over his life. And he recognized what this spiritual warfare was all about. He saw the natural, but God gave him revelation of the spiritual. We need a revelation of the spiritual. What prevents you from reading your Bible? Oh, I just don't have enough time in the day. Okay, let's take that back. Why don't you have enough time in the day? You have enough time to eat food? The Bible says your word is more necessary than my daily food. So what is it that is stealing our time from reading the word? What is it that steals our time? Jesus said, he, he, he came to serve. What is it that would steal our time to, from serving the house of God? What would steal our time in those areas? Come on, we've got to be real here because there is an enemy that is stealing from our life. Remember, Jesus said, I have come in John 10.10. 10, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. That it may go well with you. That you may have everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. That every, all your needs may be met according to his riches in glory. But the thief, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So what are we seeing more of in our own personal journey with the Lord? If we're seeing more things being stolen and killed and destroyed than we are the abundant life that Jesus said that we could walk in, something's wrong. Because he's not, he's not, he's not negating on his promises. All the promises of God are? They're yes and amen. All the promises are yes and amen. But if we're not seeing those promises... Are, are there areas that are stealing and killing and destroying? And if they are, then we need to wage warfare. And we need to dig down deep and see what God has to say. The Christian life isn't a fight in the earthly and the natural. It is a spiritual war against the, the works of darkness, against Satan and his cohorts. That's why Paul said, take up the whole armor of God. See, I, if I asked everyone in this room, do you believe that there is a spiritual war going on? Stephen. Phil, do you believe there's a spiritual war going on? Jalia, do you believe there's a spiritual war going on? See, I, I could go around everybody in the room and say, everyone agrees. I'm going to be really cruel now. No, I won't be. Answer it in your head. When was the last time you put on the armor of God? When was the last time you put on the armor of God? And everyone now in the room is going, mm. there is that as well. But have you recognized that you've got it? See, the issue is we know we're in a spiritual war, but are we putting on the armor of God to protect us in that journey? Are we recognizing, okay, I've not taken it off, but are we standing declaring each day, my head is, sh my head is shot with the feet of prop. My, I have the helmet of salvation. I have the breastplate of righteousness. I have the belt of truth. My shoes are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I have the shield of faith. I take hold of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and which I go on the offensive. Have we acknowledged that in our day? Or do we just know I'm in a spiritual war? And you're running around spiritually naked. And you become a spiritual target. I, I just, this is so important in the race that we're, we're running. That we are aware of these things. See, Paul knew only too well. 
that he was in a spiritual and a physical battle in his life. Yet in the midst of it, he kept running. I love this. Paul kept running. He kept running his best lap for Jesus. I don't know whether his first missionary trip was his best. I don't know whether his third missionary trip was his best or whether it was number two. But what I do know is he kept on going and he kept on going. And in fact, Paul didn't turn around and said, Lord, where do you want me to go next? He said, an effective door has been shut on me. Right, I'm going to go this way. Right, I'm going to go this way. He didn't sit there in his own quiet moments and say, Lord, where do you want me to go? He just knew he was called to go. And to go, he went. And wherever he went, either there was an effective door that was open or there was an effective door that was closed. But Paul kept going. And I just really want to encourage you in your journey, in your walk, in your your run with Jesus, keep going. Don't give up along the way. Don't give in partway through your race. There's nothing worse than, you know, we saw on, on the DVD last week, Derek Redman. He went, he just kept going, even though he had pulled his hamstring, even though he had stopped for a moment. He got up. His father was there encouraging him to keep going. And they went to the end of the line. Don't give up in the journey. Spiritual pressure will come. I can't, I can't say, you know, Jesus turned around and said, in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he said, because I have overcome, I make you more than a conqueror. We will in, encounter these things. Spiritual pressure was all over Paul's life. And I'm just going to share this passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 11. Because it shows the kind of pressure that Paul was under. And do you know what? If you're working and you're living for God and loving God and you're giving yourself away to God, believe me, you're going to come under pressure. But be a good cheer. You know, you're going to come under accusations. But be of good cheer. What a cheerful countenance. Joy on the inside is your strength. Here, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says... Are all ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In laborers, in laborers, and labors more often. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys, often. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often. In cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concerns my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus... The governor under Artius, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down through a basket through the wall, uh, through a window in the wall, and escaped from his hands. And Paul could go on and on and on about his woes. But you know what? You could have looked at all those things that have come against him. And he could have turned around and said, I've had enough. I'm staying in the city wall where it's safe. But he says, no, they let me down out the window of the city wall. And I escaped from their hands so I could continue to preach the word. So that I could continue running my race. So that I could continue sharing with others the love of God. And when I look at this this portion of scripture, 
the things that Paul went through. I'll tell you what, it doesn't compare to us, does it? You know, oh, my children have got football practice and, and I, I need to be at football practice. Hang on, train up a child the way they should go. If football practice becomes bigger than being in the house of God, guess where they're going to be when they're old? It's, it's, we've got to train up. We've got to, we've got to be serious. This world is so now geared to the destruction of family and Christianity. Family is the strength of Christianity. Husband-wife relationship is the strength of the house of God. But you know what? This world is is absolutely destroying that sense of family, that sense of importance of, of marriage. It is totally destroying it. Why? Because it represents the house of God and it represents our walk with God. And if this world can destroy it, it makes the church weak. And when the church is weak, it has no voice. I'll tell you what, it's been happening for years and it will continue to happen unless we put a stop to it. Unless you as an individual say, no, this is important to me. This is what I believe to be truth. And check it out through the word of God. Let's not become weary in well-doing. In our race, Paul could have said, look, guys, three times I've received 40 stripes minus one. I've had enough. I'm not going to take any more. They say the reason they did 39 stripes, the, the one less, is because the 40th stripe would kill them. But three times he'd received 39 stripes. I, I, I love the story of Paul. You know, when, when Jesus... When Jesus on that road to Damascus intervened in his life and knocked him off his horse, caused him to be blind for a moment, he had a purpose. And do you know what? He revealed that purpose to Paul. He said, you're going to go and preach to the Gentiles. You're going to go and preach to the nations. You're going to go and share the love of God. Then his eyes were opened spiritually and they were opened naturally. And he saw something that beheld his life. What have we beheld? Have we beheld, have we beholded, have we beheld, have we beheld his glory, the glory of the risen God? Have we beheld his love, the greater love has no man than he lays his life down for another? Have we beheld the wonder of our God in creation? Have we, have we beheld his wonder? Or is he just, well, one day I'll get to see him. Do you know what? When we were singing majesty, if we believe the word of God, he was present in this room. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. And if we knew his majesty, there wouldn't be one person that stood on their feet. There wouldn't be one. When we recognize all have sinned, But by the grace of God, he's brought us into relationship with him. There wouldn't be one dry eye in the room if we knew his love like it's been expressed to us. Because it's the love of God that compels us. It compels us in our life. In the midst of all these things, Paul continued to proclaim victory in the midst of all those things i don't know what you may be going through in your life in your journey what may be going on in the background of of, of what you're dealing with in life but can i encourage you don't give up let the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart be on him Let the words of your mouth, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. When you start speaking good and positive things over your life, over your children, over your family, over your finance, over your workplace, over life in general, when you speak words of faith over your life, guess what begins to happen? Those things that you believe, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that's how you get saved, number one. But it's the same way you get all the promises of God. 
It's what you say, it's what you believe that lines up with God's word. And Paul, in the midst of all this, he refused to give up. And he even said this in Romans 8, verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Don't you love that? Oh, they may be able to knock me down, but they can't knock me out. They may be able to, they may be able to throw me in the deep, and I may be in the deep a day and a night, but do you know what? I'm going to come bobbing back to the surface. They may, be, they may shipwreck me, but I'm going to come back on a board. You know, I'm going to make it my paddle board or whatever board. It has. I'm going to keep coming back. Do you know what? That's the heart of every believer. We keep coming back. We keep coming back. We keep finding ourselves in the word of God. We keep finding ourselves in the presence of God. We keep finding ourselves in the household of faith. We keep finding ourselves in that place where we will grow in our walk with God. We keep finding ourselves rubbing shoulders with each other as as a fellowship of believers. Because nothing is going to hold us down. Nothing is going to hold us back. And when Paul wrote this scripture, when he wrote this letter to Timothy, he knew his life was being poured out. He had seen the journey, the ups, the downs, the fights, the situations that he had been through. And do you know what? I love Paul because he said to Timothy, like I have run and like I have fought and like I have kept the faith, so can you. And he didn't just say it to Timothy. It's still echoing through the scriptures to us today. Because he did, we can do also. Like it was his confession, it can be our confession. We may not have run our best race up to now, but we can still run our best race yet to come. We can change the story of our life. You You may look at your life and say it's defined by these certain things. But you know what? It doesn't always have to be defined by those things. I look at my life um, when, I was, when I was in my teens and early 20s. And, and the church that I was involved in to some degree, they, I wasn't particularly liked. I wasn't a particularly nice person. I wasn't liked by the church. And even, even 10 years after, and I had a ministry and I was involved in church, uh, and, and I was... I was wondering whether I'd get invited back to preach. They didn't want to know because they remembered the former person that would aim fireworks at them during a firework display and set bangers off in front of them. I was a horrible individual. You know, they were all having a nice church, a nice church firework display, and I was throwing bangers at them all. Lord, forgive me. I've already prayed that prayer, but it sounds like I'm enjoying the moment. I did at the time. I thought it was hilarious at the time. But I have asked the Lord to forgive me. Maybe I need to go to George Payne one day and say, George, forgive me. But there we go. I'm not there yet. (laughs) That's a joke. That's a joke. Anyway, I wasn't a nice individual, but the... But I was still defined by that church as being not a nice individual. But God had got a hold of my heart. My journey didn't finish there. There was still a journey to be outworked. And I don't recognize that person. I don't acknowledge that person. I was once dead, but now I'm alive again. Isn't that your confession? I was once blind, but now I see. I once was without hope. But now I have hope. That's got to be a, I'm not the person I used to be. Therefore, I can change the journey. I can have have the script of my life rewritten. Because I'm not being defined of who I once was. I'm now being defined of who he says I am. And that is all that matters. I'm going to read this scripture from from the word. Because this was given to me. Some of you would know this gentleman In 1999, I've actually got it, 1999, yeah, 1999, uh, Reg Plowman, on the 21st of October, 1999, gave me this scripture just before I went to Africa to preach um, for 17 days. The only person I knew was a a prisoner who had invited me out there. And when I got there, I thought I was 
being kidnapped um, and genuinely thought I was being kidnapped. It was, it's an amazing story. I'll tell you about it one day if you want to hear it. But this is the scripture that was given to me. And, and, and I just, this, was, this is Paul. This is Paul's life, but it was a scripture given to me. But you know what? This is a scripture that he, the word of God is given to you. This is your scripture. This is our journey. This is what it means to each one of us. And it says this. How many of you know Reg Plowman? I, I, I know Reg, Reg. Any other Reg knowers? Yes? Good old Reg. He's still going. He's got to be nearly 100 now, isn't he, Reg? Anyway, that's genuine, nearly 100. He was the one man. Sorry, I'm deviating. I know time's gone. He was the one man during my teenage years when my life was totally out of control. He was the one man in church that would come to me and say, Jeff, your life is is worth more than you give it credit for. And that man... I credit that man for where I am today. He was the one man that came up to me on the day of my baptism that gave me a word from the Lord and said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And my life went out of control. But God had his word in my life. And then when I went... Reg has just spoken in certain moments in my life. Do you know what? Every adult in this room should be doing that to the children in our church. Sowing seeds of hope. Sowing seeds for their future. Sowing seeds into our teenagers. Sowing seeds. Because you never know what that seed may do when it lands in their heart. This is the word that he gave me. And I believe it's for all of us. In Acts chapter 20 verse 24... It says, but none of these things move me. He was talking about all the pressure that had come against him, all the issues people had left him before. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Twofold call upon your life. Every single one of us in this room, you, there is a twofold call on your life. That I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord. Paul had a twofold call upon his life, and so do you. We have one to, to outwork our own race and to do what God has called us to do. Number one, right now, you may, know, may not know what God has called you to do. Then start serving somewhere and you may find your call in it. There's a scripture that talks about if your gift is encouraging, then encourage. If your gift is giving, then give. If your gift is rolling up your sleeves and painting the walls, paint the walls. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but I'm just giving you. If you ministry of helps, it's called in the Bible. If you have got the ministry of helps, please help me do the gardening. I'm back to doing gardening every week. I don't want to do the gardening. But if you can garden, help me with the gardening. And it all went quiet over there. And it all went quiet over there. Oh, it all went quiet. Anyway. So I'm doing gardening one day a week where I could be ministering. I could be preparing You'll have shorter sermons. Don't all shout, hooray. <laughs> You're getting a longer one today, and I did gardening. You'll have longer ones because I've got less time to condense it, all right? You'll have longer sermons because I'm doing gardening. Twofold ministry. Are, number, are you outworking your ministry? Number one, I guess, are you outworking your spiritual life? Are you running your race, like Paul said? That's one. Are you outworking your spiritual ministry? Because you have one. Because the Bible says that he's given to talents to each of us. He's given you talents. What we do with those talents is down to you. With the guys in the Bible, it was down to them. It's one he gave ten. To another, five. To another, two. Or whatever it was. He said, what are you doing? What are you going to do with the talent I've given you? We all have giftings, abilities... Or time to do something. What are we doing? Because we will all stand before the Lord on the righteous day. 
when we're about to receive our crown. And that's the one thing he's going to ask. What did you do with the gift that I placed in your hands? What are you going to do with the gift I placed in your hand? Because then you're here. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you've done what he's asked you to do. You may hear, you made it by the skin of your teeth and you didn't do what I asked you to do. Let's be honest, come on. You know, there's things that God gives. If you've got a voice and you're not singing, if you've got a heart for worship and you're not lost in worship, if you can hoover a floor and you're not hoovering it, if you can pick up weeds or cut the grass with a strimmer and you're not, if you're not on hosting, if you're not, they're the simple things. If you're not encouraging, if you're not prophesying with the gift of prophecy that you've been given, then one day when you stand before him and you hear, and you're knocking on the door of the pearly gates, and you say, Lord, let me in. Let me in, Lord. Lord, let me in. <laughs> let me in. And the door opens, and you see Jesus peer through the door, and you say, Hello, I've made it, I think. Be certain of your salvation. Let's not get to heaven thinking, I may just get through those pearly gates. But I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I am the servant of all, just like Jesus, he was the servant of all. I, as your pastor, am the servant of you all. Whatever the need is, wherever the situation, you can call on us. We will do our very best. Sometimes we don't make it. I just noticed, Margaret, I didn't give you a call. I am so sorry, Margaret. There are things that slip by the way that in the journey I can't always keep up with. Totally, and hopefully you understand that. But you know what? I am the servant of all in this house because you are the people that God's given me responsibility to shepherd and be a part of your life but you know what as brothers and sisters in the lord we're here for one another i'm going to finish with this be watchful for in all things endure affliction do the work of the evangelist fulfill your ministry it's there fulfill your ministry let me finish with these things the more you and I are in love with this world, the less we are in love with Christ. Let these things drop in your heart. The more you and I desire the things of this world, the less we desire the things of God. The more you and I hold on to the world, the lesser our grip on heavenly things will be. The more we trust our jobs and businesses as our provider, the less we trust in God's provision. The more we find our security in money and our jobs, the less we trust in God's sovereignty, sovereignty and ability. The more we rely on worldly wisdom, we'll rely less on God's divine wisdom. Church, let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's run our best lap for Jesus. And let's do what the Bible says that we need to do and fulfill the call and the ministry upon our life. And if you don't know what your call or your ministry or you just don't know where to serve or which department, come and see me and I will give you one or two things to do. That would be great. Now, you may be here today and... You may be new to church. This may be new to you. This may be the first time you've been with us. Well, at the end of every service, pretty much, we do an appeal for people to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And when I look at Paul's experience and his connection to Jesus, I look at that as an inspiration for me to know the one who is and who was and who is to come. And today, I just want to give you that opportunity to know Jesus for yourself. And to give your life to him. So I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray after me. And um, then I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer genuinely in your heart, 
then to pop up your hand at the end as a, as a faith response to Jesus today. So pray, pray this prayer after me. Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, it reveals your heart. And Jesus, it shows that you love us and that you gave yourself for us. So today, Lord, having heard what I've heard, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. You died upon a cross so that I could live for you. Forgive me of every wrong. Forgive those sins that have ensnared my life. And today, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. While every head is bowed and every eye closed, I want you for yourself, not because of your parents, not because of your past, but today, do you know you're saved? Do you have Jesus in your heart? If you prayed that today, then you've prayed and asked God to come into your life. I'm going to count to three. And if you've prayed that prayer sincerely and you want Jesus to be real in your life today, I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand. One, two, three. Pop up your hand if you prayed that today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know what, Jesus? When he died for you, his arms were outstretched wide. What did that show? He did it for everybody and anybody. He did it for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Today, I'm going to count down from five. If you're here and you put your hand up, put it up nice and high, just as Jesus put his up for you. I'm going to count down from five. Five, four, three, two. I see that hand. One. Father, I thank you. Jesus, have your way. Fill this man with your love. Fill him with faith. And Lord, fill him with the grace and the mercy of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.